You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. So we've been in this series called Disruption, and we all have been disrupted in our lives over the last three months. In fact, when you start to think about the ways that we've been disrupted, there's lots of things that might flood our minds. Uh, When our kids were brought back home for school in distance learning, and I know that's wrapped up for many, and I know many of you are grateful for that, uh, but that disrupted our families. When we looked at our work situations, many of us went home to work, and I'm still here in my home doing work, and it has disrupted us here. For others, you have had layoffs, and some are still laid off and are not sure when you'll be called back to work. We've had canceled plans, canceled flights, canceled cruises, canceled weddings uh, that I know of, canceled graduations, and canceled birthdays. And then you add on top of that the sickness of corona or other uh, diseases or things that have affected families and individuals. And I know uh, a, a half dozen families that have lost loved ones in this season, and they couldn't memorialize their their loved ones. And it's just been a a season of disruption, no doubt. And we wanted to use the fact that we've been disrupted and have a play on words and ask you, what has been the most disruptive thing in your life in the past three months? For me, I know it's kind of silly, but the fact I haven't had a haircut and it took me five times longer than normal to get my hair to even look this good. And uh, it's just, it's kind of fun. We'll look back and, and at pictures. Uh, my haircut, if you're just tuning in or not new, uh, is much more uh, trim than this, but uh, that's okay. Uh, but this, <laughs> this series is all about stories about disruption. And we're starting at the end of Mark chapter 4, and we're going through Mark chapter 5 in this series. And in each case, in each story, something was disrupted. Again, for those that are new with us, we like to preach in an expository fashion. And what that simply means is we take one story at a time, working through a book of the Bible, one kind of line by line, verse by verse. And we do that because we know that God's Word has a transformative uh, reality. It helps us when we hear it, when we read it, when we study it, and when we give attention to the Word of God, it makes a difference in our lives. And so we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, and I just want to remind those that have been tracking with us that it was written by one of the disciples. Uh, the, his name was Mark, but it really wasn't Mark's account. It was Peter's perspective, an eyewitness account. And what we see in this story, and we'll see again and again in these stories, we see a real Jesus with real power. This is not a fairy tale. It's another real story of disruption. And this story that we're going to talk about today in Mark chapter 5 
It's Mark's most gripping story. It's graphic in its detail. It's, it's of an exorcism, a miracle tale. And it's, it could be, at least in my mind, one of the most disturbing out of all the stories in the Gospel of Mark. Maybe uh, the most elaborate story besides the passion of the Christ at, when Jesus was headed to the cross. And I've asked Jessica, my wife, to read the story and to help us to understand. And so without further ado, we're going to send it to Jessica. This is the story of Jesus healing a man with a demon. Mark 5, 1 through 20, Jesus heals a man with a demon. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Thank you, Jessica. And may God honor his word and honor this story in our lives. Absolutely. When we look at a story like this, it's really important for us to understand the history, what's happening behind the scenes, or what's really going on. And there's, this story is not only recorded in Mark chapter 5, but it's also recorded in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 8. And you take those three accounts and you look, and there's a lot of detail, a lot of background. Of course, they're on the Sea of Galilee. We heard that in the story. And it's really more of a lake. And they're headed to the country of the Gerasenes, which later is described as the Decapolis, which is 10 cities kind of spread out. And these are primarily Gentile cities, non-Jewish regions. You say, how do you know that? And is that really that important? Well, yes, it's important because uh, it's important to note that when they talk about sheep herders, or not sheep herders, pig herders, uh, that was a big operation, 2,000 pigs in this case. Uh, pigs was a sign of 
paganism in that culture. At the time of Jesus, where the Jews, they were to avoid pigs, bacon, at all, at all costs. And for Jesus, uh, in that time, uh, it, they, everyone would have understood that for sure. The other thing is, it's talking about tombs or graveyards. And for the Jews, it was unclean to be among the dead. And graveyards were considered a place of contamination. And again, for the Jews, a Jew that was in contact with the dead or a grave, it made them unclean. And the man who rushes to see Jesus in the story is as unclean as you could possibly get. And what else in the background we also see in this story? We see demons. And what are demons? It's simply fallen angels, those that at one point at the beginning of creation uh, worshipped God, but it were fell, fell with, with Satan, a third of the angels in heaven. And, uh, and it says in this case in particular that there was an unclean spirit, just like in Mark chapter 1 when we were looking at that. And, but I want you to know demons are real. And they can inhabit, they can live inside our souls if we give them the ability to do so. And so in this story, we see a demon-possessed man who had, his life had been defiled. He's living among the tombs. Uh, he, his uh, uh, demeanor in public is that he went around naked. And, uh, and it's interesting, a lot of commentators, when they look at that, they, they talk about sexual overtones or undertones. Uh, nakedness is really a sign of perversion, except in the marriage bedroom, of course. Uh, there also, this demon-possessed man who had fits of violence, uh, but also he had this superhuman strength, and uh, it, it was crazy. He could do supernatural things, break chains, things like that. It also says that he could not rest. He also would cry out and howl. He would shriek for no reason at all. I mean, this is a scary situation. He also was prone to self-harm. Uh, he's cutting himself, and he lost his personality. And we see that virtually every ex expression in the story is demonic. When he's asked, what is your name? He doesn't answer. The demons answer, and they say, we are legion. The demons speak. For the man. You say, well, what's a legion, right? Well, a legion is simply 6,000 Roman soldiers, and it could have been that there were 6,000 demons, but it's probably more likely an exaggeration, although there were 2,000 pigs, and all 2,000 pigs uh, did dive into the sea. And, uh, but the point is, again, the man here is just as unclean as you could get. Uh, he's in bad shape. And you got to know uh, that demons are real. This is not fiction. This is not fairy tale. Um, this is a real story. What else is to note in the story is that Jesus, his power is strong. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11 says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And that is exactly what happens. The man runs to him, rushes to him, and falls at the feet of Jesus. We also see Jesus' power when the 2,000 pigs run into the sea. One commentator, one, uh, one pastor I was uh, watching earlier this week said, it was a massive swine dive. I like that. And you say, well, why, uh, why did 2,000 pigs, or why was that important? Well, it was proof that the demons left the man 
It also was proof of Jesus' power, and it highlighted the destructive nature of demons in general. Now, some people, uh, when you read this story, you think, man, 2,000 pigs, that's a lot of pigs. And uh, isn't that animal cruelty? <laughs> and, uh, and really, uh, it, I, you know, all, all creation is God's creation. And those pigs were created by God, but not in the image of God. And it is a statement in this story uh, that human life is far more important than animals God's nature is in all of us. We, God's people, human beings, were created in the image of God. Uh, People in the story were more concerned with the pigs, the bacon, right, than the man who was restored, and that was a sad case. And lastly, the thing I'd like to share is that uh, the situation, it caused great fear. And we see that, we uh, understand that. And with one word, go, in Matthew's account, they understood the magnitude of the power that Jesus uh, had. It would take massive power to send demons into pigs and uh, to do that. So much power that they begged Jesus to leave. They're saying, no thank you, Jesus. No gratitude. Why is that? Because it affected their livelihood. They would rather be terrified by demons than to know Jesus more intimately. They were disrupted. And our theme is disruption, and there's a lot of disruption in this story. And it makes us think that really the big takeaway for today that I want us to get our mind around for the next few moments is who will disrupt your life? Who will disrupt your life? And there's two possible options, at least from this story. Number one, Satan, he wants to disrupt your life, but also Jesus wants to disrupt your life as well. And let's unpack that. Let's look at the first one. Satan wants to disrupt your life. Can we acknowledge that Satan, he hates our guts? First Peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 says that, that Satan seeks to devour us. He wants to take us out. What does Satan do? He destroys things. He destroys our hearts and our minds. He, in the, man, uh, the man in this story, he lost everything. He lost his home. He lost his family. His friends were gone. He lost his decency. He's run around naked. He's lost his self-control. He lost his peace. He lost his purpose for living. And you may say, yeah, but he's possessed by demons, right? He allowed these demons to come in. And uh, how does this apply to me? Well, the truth is Satan does the same thing with us as he did with this man. He, Satan does not play fair. Satan would love for you and I to get comfortable in our sin. Often it'll start off nice and small. And in our society, sin is so normalized. And uh, what happens, Satan will tempt us and then we'll try something. And then he isolates us. And then he comes along and he binds us. And he does that uh, to our detriment. It starts off with the things that we watch, uh, the things that we listen to, the the things that we do in our lives, the people we hang around, the things that we consume. And let's just be honest, our society is full of evil. It's fixated on evil. You turn on the TV and it's vampires and zombies and witchcraft. 
It's murder and perversion, it's sex and it's drugs and there's violence all around. And you cannot digest that kind of stuff for long without it affecting you. I don't care who you are. The truth is, and sure, at first you might say, well, it's just innocent or it's just such a small amount. And you might even say in this story, the demon-possessed man may have said, look, there's even superhuman powers that come when the demons were upon him. Sin might be fun for a season. I get that. You get that. But please, don't forget, this sin destroyed this man's life up to this point. It isolated him. He's naked. He's self-destructive. And when we allow sin like this into our homes, into our minds, and it could be subtle, small ways, it absolutely affects us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 says, Don't even give Satan a foothold. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So some people will look at, you know, oh, I was angry. And uh, Jesus said, don't let the sun even go down on your anger. You say, why? Because it says, it follows up in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. So again, we don't want to even give Satan a foothold, even with our anger and small things. What do we do with this? What can we learn from this story of this man that was possessed by a demon? I think that, challenge is for us to take inventory. What ways have you opened the doors? What spiritual battles have you faced or are facing? And we could sit there and discuss that. The the bottom line is, who has disturbed your life from a negative standpoint, from a sinful behavior? Satan, he wants to destroy your life. He wants to disrupt your life. But our story doesn't just show Satan disrupting, we also see that Jesus comes in and at the height of our spiritual battles, in the height of this guy's spiritual darkness, in the dark night of his soul, so to speak, Jesus came to this man and Jesus does the same for us. He comes to us. And the second point is that Jesus wants to disrupt your life too. First, let's point out that Jesus went through a mega storm. We looked at it at the end of chapter 4. And Jesus had power over that storm. But he went through a storm to get to this story, to get to this man. And he did it for one, right, uh, who had a severe need. And Jesus was heading into Gentile territory. So he's leaving the Jews and he's really expanding his ministry. But Jesus was tired. He was without sleep. Jesus was drawn to them out of love out of respect. And this man in Mark chapter 5, who was at the very bottom, was a picture of human distress. And Jesus spoke to him and allowed him to speak back to him. And really there was this idea that Jesus treated him with great dignity. I love that. Jesus disrupted the plans of the enemy for this man, for the one. And he has the power to do the same. For each of us. Jesus wants to disrupt your world. And what does that mean? Well, it starts with, with each of us really looking at our lives and understanding that we need a Savior. Jesus clearly loves us. He clearly loves you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. 
another verse says that there's no greater love than this than for a, a man to lay down his life for his brother. That's exactly what Jesus did for you. He went to the cross so we could live. Jesus pursues us. He never stops. Jesus wants a relationship. He wants to free you from sin and from bondage. And for some, it would turn your world totally upside down. It would be the best decision for all of us that you would ever make to find Jesus, to be saved, to let Jesus come into your heart and to take away your sin. And I want to encourage you. At the end of this message, we're going to give an opportunity for you to do that. It would be the best day you've ever had. But Jesus doesn't just stop there, though. In this story, the disruption actually continues. Watch what I'm saying. Actually, until the day we take our last breath, you say, what? Well, it's true. Jesus saves us, right? But then he has a plan for each of us, just like he had a plan for this man and for every single one of us. And it disrupts where our minds might naturally drift. Uh, let's look at the story again. In the story, in uh, the man who was set free in, in verse 18, it says he wanted to go with Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus, but he wouldn't let him. In verse 19, Jesus did not permit him to go. You say, well, why did he want to stick around? I mean, who wouldn't? It was the best day ever. He's been delivered. He's in his right mind. He's, he's uh, back to normal. And the man, who, by the way, doesn't have a name, he's a nameless guy, he does not stay with Jesus. Instead, he goes to the Decapolis, 10 different cities, and he doesn't just depend on Jesus and become dependent on that. He becomes an evangelist. He becomes a missionary. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This guy didn't go to Bible college. He doesn't even know any scripture. We don't know his past before that. Was he Jew? Was he a Gentile? We don't know. But he was the first one to be sent out by Jesus. Get this. A Gentile man, most likely, who was messed up and his background was, was were really bad. His life was disrupted and turned upside down. What we see here is a madman now is a missionary. Get your mind around it. A madman is now a missionary. And his testimony is simply this. I was messed up. I had demons, right? Until I met Jesus. And he changed my world. Period. That was his story. And that's what he shared. And our testimony can be as simple as that. I was messed up until I found Jesus. And Jesus changed my life. He saved me. For the man in this story, he would have greater impact in the Decapolis than to stay with Jesus. He would have greater impact in his hometown. And the same is true for us. Jesus, he disrupts our lives, and then it is our privilege to live lives for him. Jesus disrupts our lives. And that's not always easy. It's, in fact, it's probably not going to be easy. But effective Christian living, living out our call, what God has called us to do, church, it costs something. In the story, it cost 2,000 pigs, right? 2,000 pigs were destroyed. And people don't like that, and I get that. And for those guys that were those uh, pig herders, that was their livelihood. It made them uncomfortable. It put fear in them. Uh, but listen, when Jesus solves our problems, sometimes it costs us our pigs. 
And when we speak up and we start living for Jesus, it will make others uncomfortable as well. But we are called to take up our cross and live for Jesus. The big question I want to leave us with is how can we make the most of every opportunity? The verse that I was drawn to this week is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, that says this. It says, making the best of the time because the days are evil. And can we just acknowledge that the days are evil? Today, I mean, in our world, there's so much injustice. There's so much craziness going on. The days we're living in are evil. And it's our job to be mobilized as a church when we experience disruption. Let's not miss this opportunity. Who will disrupt your life? Is it going to be Satan? And is he going to get a foothold in your life? Or is it going to be Jesus? And when he saves us, he then calls us and he sends us into action. And let's just acknowledge where we are today. We need to be careful not to allow different things into our lives. And certainly that's a takeaway We need to care for the one, and we need to go, right? But let's just talk about the disruption that we're living with in our cities, in our conversations, with friends and family, even within our church family. If you allow your life to be disrupted, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you maybe your preconceived notions. It's going to force you to listen and when we're in this stay-at-home, stay-safe order still, and I know things are, uh, we're going to be back together soon, just a couple weeks away, June 28th. I can't wait to be preaching face-to-face, and we will be back together. But if we come through this season, church, and we are not mobilized, and we don't make a difference, and we don't stand up and, 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 uh, and uh, you know, make a difference in our world, wherever we go, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces... Listen, if we don't have a bonfire night with our unsaved loved ones or those that are neighbors, if we don't reach one more, in other words, if we are not mobilized in this season, we just come back and things go back to normal, we have missed an incredible opportunity. We are called to be the church. And yeah, we're not together on Sunday mornings at this point, but we are the church A church is not a building, you know that, and we are called in the season to be mobilized. And what's crazy to me, when you look at the early church, every time they were disrupted, and you can make the parallel to us being disrupted, every time the church grew, the church was mobilized. And I'm calling us to action. I'm calling myself to action, to make a difference, to be light, to to let my light shine for Jesus. And with God's help, we're going to do that. Now, as I close, if you're here today, if you're listening, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, today is your day. There's no reason to go a, a second longer. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And all we gotta do is call on the name of Jesus. We need to admit we're a sinner. That's easy. We've all made mistakes. We need to put our belief in Jesus Christ and who he is. And then we need to confess our sins. And I'd like to lead you into a prayer of confession. And uh, it's real simple. You're right where you are. You can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, please save me. I'm sorry for the sin in my life. I admit I'm a sinner. But Lord, I'm putting my faith in you. Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you. I believe in you. 
And because of that, I confess my sin to you. And Jesus, according to your word, you say that you're going to save me. You're going to take away my sin. And today I'm asking that you would do that. And Jesus, I hope and pray that you will walk with me, help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, we're going to encourage you to jump on the Zoom link. Uh, we're, we love to know. We, we want you to make yourself known. Also, I'm going to encourage the rest of those that are following with us still here to make this switch to a Zoom link, to a Zoom meeting. It won't be long, but we want to pray for you. How can we pray for you today? We want to walk with you and maybe even have a, an additional discussion about our lives being disruptive and disrupted and being mobilized. And so without further ado, we're going to close the service. I'll pray a prayer of benediction and then jump over and join me on Zoom. Father, I pray right now that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. We'll see you in the Zoom meeting, and then we'll see you tonight at 5 o'clock in person. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.